the book of Genesis, chapters 25, one, verses 1 through 11. Abraham had taken another wife whose name was Keturah. She bore him Zimram, Jokshan, Medan, Midian, Ishbak, and Shua. Jokshan was the father of Sheba and Dedan. The descendants of Dedan were the Asherites, the Letushites, and the Luimites. The sons of Midian were Ephur, Ephur, Hanok, Abida, and Alda, all of these descendants of Keturah. Abraham left everything he owned to Isaac, but while he was still living, he gave gifts to the sons of the concubines and sent them away from his son Isaac to the land of the east. Abraham lived 175 years. Then Abraham breathed his last and died at a good old age, an old man and full of years, and he was gathered to his people. His sons Isaac and Ishmael buried him in the cave of Machpelah near Mamre in the field of Ephron, son of Zohar the Hittite. The field Abraham had bought from the Hittites. There Abraham was buried with his wife Sarah. After Abraham's death, God blessed his son Isaac, who then lived near B. Lohiah Roy. This is God's word. You may be seated. You know, it just seems so just that we end uh, our study of Abraham with a reading has a lot of weird names in it. Uh, I want to give you a heads up about what we're going to do this next week. Uh, first Sunday in June is always the, uh, the Sunday where we do our baby recognition. And that's always an exciting Sunday because we're reminded of all of the children that were born into this church family over the last year from, from June to June. And uh, we have all of those mothers and fathers and, and, and children and babies, you know, kind of just lined up here in front of the stage and we pray over them. And I want to encourage you to be a part of that. Uh, there, 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 there's something really special, as you know, about b bringing a child into the world. And especially when it comes to, to especially targeting God in that child's heart. And, and that's, a, that's tough business, and, that, and that's a tough job for any parent. And part of the help that they get in doing that is from the multitude of people that form their family, their church family, their spiritual family, the bride of Christ, the, the, the body of Christ, us. And so I really want to encourage you to be here. Let's fill this auditorium up. We're going to have a lot of visitors, uh, family and friends who are coming into town for this as well. But it's also an opportunity for, for all of us regardless of where we might be in life or children or any of those kinds of things, to say this is important work, the raising of children. It was one of the first commands that was given by God to the people of Israel. Make sure that you teach your children to know that God is one and there is one God in all of life. Amen? And that's important work, and we're really thankful for, uh, for Seanette and the work that she does with our kiddos and for Richard and in uh, the way that he supports that, and, and Cody working with our teenagers. But it, 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 it's not just their responsibility, and it's not just the responsibility of the parents. It's the responsibility of the people of God to teach about the presence of God in every human heart. Amen? Let's begin with a word of prayer. Father, we have come to the end of this study of Abraham, and we've been so enriched by it we're grateful that these words have been laid out on pages for us in such a way that we can reflect and, and, and contemplate and think profoundly and deeply about this life that is not just an example of faith, 
but an example of perseverance, Father, of going through tests, completely trusting in his relationship with you. And we pray, Father, that we can, we can walk in the steps of our Father in the faith. Bless us this morning as we study. Give us, O oh Father, eyes to see and ears to hear in such a way that we are blessed. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we do come to the end of our study of Abraham. And one of the things that we know about Abraham is that he was a very influential person in the history of the world. When you think about the three gigantic major religions of the world, they all go back to Abraham. You have Islam that traces their, their steps back to Abraham through Hagar's son Ishmael. Then you have uh, Judaism, and they trace their, their, their faith roots through Sarah's son Isaac to Abraham. And, you, you know, when you think about it, that tension that you have between Isaac and, and Ishmael all those thousands of years ago, uh, it, it's still palpable. It's still felt today in the Middle East as there are tensions between, still between these two people in the Middle East. And then the third great religion of the world, Christianity, we too kind of trace our way back to, to, to Abraham. Now, it would be easy for us to think that that's the only significance that he has. But the truth of the matter is that Abraham has influence that goes all the way back into eternity. Think about what Paul writes in Galatians chapter 3, beginning in verse 7. He says, Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. If you have faith, you're children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Now as we close out uh, our, our thoughts and our lessons about Abraham, I want, us, I want us to think about a couple of points that come out of the totality of his life. The first one is this, relationship is the priority relationship is the priority the relationship with God is the priority the end of Genesis 11 and the beginning of Genesis 12 were introduced to this guy by the name of Abraham and 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 what is interesting is that Abraham is not thinking about God Abraham is living in Mesopotamia he's doing what he, he does in Mesopotamia he's doing his own thing when God comes knocking on the door God shows up it's God who initiates everything with a call. And so we read, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 12, the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now, one of the things that I've said throughout this series, I want to say it again because it bears repeating. Remember when you read Abraham and you're, and you're thinking about the life of Abraham and the life of faith that he is an exemplar for all of us to be, is that Abraham, this whole story of Abraham takes place long, long, long before there is ever even a thought of a Bible. There are absolutely no scriptures. There's just God sort of showing up Knocking on the door, Abraham comes to the door and he says, I need you to leave everything and everybody in order to go to the place that I'm going to show you. 
See, God and Abraham from the very beginning of the story are beginning relationally. They're beginning in relationship. A couple of chapters later in chapter 15, verse 1, the word of the Lord comes to Abram in a vision, a vision this time. He says, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield and your very great reward. Abraham, you know what I am to you? I, I'm a great reward. I, I'm a shield around you. In other words, Abraham, I'm the deal. I'm, I'm the treasure. Think about it this way. You know, early in our marriage, Ellen and I are getting to know each other. One Saturday afternoon, watching television, Ellen comes into the room, says, Get thee off the couch and go with me to the store. I said, Store? Really? A store which I will show you. I'm thinking to myself, Well, oh, I guess, okay. And then she continues, I will bless thee and ply thee with kisses as numerous as the stars in the sky. Now we're talking. <laughs> so I get up, I go with Ellen, we get into the car, and we drive to the store. Steinmark? Holy smokes, I thought we were going to Academy. <laughs> I go in and discover that, that Ellen is my reward. Just being with her. It's not about shopping, but it's about spending time with her. It, it's watching her as she goes from apartment to apartment to department to department. I'm staying out of the unmentionables, but I'm going with her. See, she's looking at all of this stuff, and I'm watching her face and, and looking at everything. And today, these 34 years later, I don't miss a single opportunity to go with her when she's shopping because she's the show. It's not the store. It's about her. It's about being with her. Now, someone might be thinking, especially the guys, you like going to the mall? You need to turn in that man card. Well, I'm here to tell you, brother, that I don't particularly like going to the, to the store, but I just love being with her. And so I traded in my man card and upgraded to a platinum man card. <laughs> the bottom line is knowing who is more, than, more important than knowing what. Knowing who is more important than knowing what. One of the discipleship checks that you need to ask yourself is this. Which do I know better, God or the Scriptures about God? Do I really know God as profoundly as I know the Scriptures? Now, the Scriptures are important. You always want to read. You always want to memorize. In fact, I don't know how we got out of the job of memorizing Scripture. We need to start doing that again. But those Scriptures point us to God, and that's the relationship. That's the show. One of the, the Scriptures that Jesus... Um, uh, that we read is one of the things that Jesus said to the Pharisees when they were testing him and testing him and testing him. And he said, you know what? You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. Those scriptures that you're reading, they should be instructing your mind about the greatness of the one who stands before you. Yet, he says, he continues, you refuse to come to me to have life. Listen, friends, don't read the entire Bible as an insurance policy. Reading about all the things that you're supposed to do and all the things that you're not supposed to do, the Bible is written in such a way that some of it is like a love letter and some of it is like a story. 
But it's all written in such a way that it points to Jesus. It points to God. It points to the greatness of a relationship that God causes in our sinfulness and our, our, our darkness into the light in order to be with Him. And speaking of healthy relationships, they're always going to be defined by trust. Not only is God calling Abraham into a relationship with him, and us too, but all healthy relationships are defined by trust. Question number one, have you ever had an unhealthy relationship? Have you ever had an unhealthy relationship? Question number two, what do you think the root issue was? Probably it was related one way or another to this idea of trust or this 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 element, this component in every relationship of trust. Developing trust is what permits a relationship to go to the next level. When the Creator and the Possessor of the heavens and the earth comes and He says, Go. In fact, in the Hebrew He says, Get thee out. When He comes, El Elyon comes and says, Go, you pay attention to that. But at the same time, all of those blessings are pretty big incentives, are they not? Not a lot of information, but to the point. But the point is, do you trust me? I, I remember being this really young ministry intern up in northern Virginia back in the early, 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 early 80s. Uh, there was a middle-aged woman who wanted to be baptized. Great, we had been in study with her. She wanted to be baptized. Fantastic. Only problem was, deathly afraid of water. Absolutely afraid of water. But she wanted to be baptized because Jesus said so, and she wanted to give her life to God, and she wanted her sins to be washed away. So as, you know, and I'm not going to dilly-dally around because she's already been saying over and over again, I'm afraid of the water, I'm afraid of the water. Give me a chance, give me a chance, and I'll, you know, I'll run. And so, <laughs> so I'm not dilly-dallying around with this. You know, we get dressed, we get up, and as we're going down into the water, I, I start saying the baptism words. You know, I now baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit for the remission of your sins. And about the time I say that, we get down into the bottom. I had already instructed her what to do. And so I take her, and as I start to bring her down, her arms shoot up, and she grabs the ledge of the baptistry. I know we're never going to get a second chance at this. So I've got her, and I just whoosh right into the water. <laughs> and I bring her back up, and she's sputtering. And I'm going, man, what did I just do? I nearly killed this woman. I just introduced her in church to her greatest fear. That's awesome, you know? And so she comes up out of the water, she's sputtering. She goes, I'm so glad that you did that because I wasn't getting back in this water. But she trusts God. She trusted the promises of God that come when people are brought into relationship with Him, even if it meant facing one of her greatest fears, if, even if it meant facing something that scared her to death. She trusted absolutely God and what He said. Now, if you've been in those kind of crazy relationships where trust is, is not an assumption, you know that trust doesn't come very easy. Later on in the story, God shows up again and says, you know, Sarah is going to have a baby. And the Bible says that this was impossible, that, they, that they're in their body they were dead. That this was an impossibility because they were well past the childbearing years. But Abraham believed the Lord, and he, God, credited it to him as righteousness. The, the whole Bible, friends, 
is, is, is about our learning to put both feet down in the kingdom of God solidly. The whole Bible is about us putting all of our trust in God. Think about Genesis 3, the reason we live in a fallen world, the reason that everything has come unraveled, the reason that that things are not the way that they're supposed to be is because at one point in the, 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 the pristine, primitive history of the creation of the world, there was this, this, this tiny moment that took maybe seconds for somebody to say, you know what? I don't think that, that God has my best interest at heart. That God is in, apposi- in opposition to me. And from that point on, the world came Unraveled, And the rest of the Bible is about reversing that trend in the human heart. Every, you know, every religious teaching, every religion in the world is about being saved. That's not something that's just unique to the gospel. Every religion in the world says something like, do this or do that, get enlightened and memorize some, some kind of information or, 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 or attain some, some level of, of, of good deeds. And what's going to happen? You're going to be blessed. You're going to get saved. It's, it, it's going to be about reaching nirvana or something like that. The gospel is not that you can be saved. Every religion in the world teaches that. The gospel teaches that you are saved by grace. It comes from trusting God. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For it is by grace that you have been, been saved. Through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. You know what Paul is saying to people there? He's saying you don't get saved. You, you don't come into relationship with God because you have attained some level of becoming a nice person. In Romans chapter 4 and verse 5, Paul says, To the one who does not work but trusts God, who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. Day finally comes when Sarah, 90 years old, and that baby bump. And Abraham says, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. Everything that God said about Sarah and the baby and and this child and the son and the heir, all of it is coming true. This this thing is really happening. And Isaac is born and grows up amid great joy and laughter. His name Yitzhak means uh, little laughing boy. But then God comes again. Genesis chapter 22, God tells Abraham that he needs to give the boy back to God. They travel three days to a place that God is going to show them. And God says, when I show you the place, you'll travel for three days. I'll show it to you. You'll go up to the place and you'll offer him as a burnt offering. Why the three days? Why the three days? You know, back in that day, they didn't have super highways. They didn't didn't have Motel 6s where they leave the lights on for you. No, Abraham is traveling out in the middle of nowhere. He's going to a place that God is going to show him. And there's not Motel 6s. There's not Hampton Inns. He's having to tent it out in the middle of nowhere under the stars. But it's under the stars. For three nights, Abraham lies in a sleeping bag under the reminder that his descendants will be as numerous as the stars in the sky. 
Do you really believe that every time he laid his head down and he sees all of those stars that he's not reminded of what God said? And I don't think he slept very much those three nights because you know what he's doing? He's working it out. He's being reminded, descendants as numerous as the stars, for hours and hours and hours as he tries to sleep at night. But he's working it out. God is faithful, and I will trust him. He probably said something like this. I have absolutely no clue how this thing is going to work out. But what I do know is that God has never let me down. I don't know what the end result is going to look like, but what I do know is that God has never lied to me. I don't know what this is going to look like or what I'm going to feel like. or I, I don't even know what this... I, in fact, I don't even want to go where the imagination of my mind will take me in thinking about this, but what I do know is that God is faithful to His Word and has been every time. And He works it out. And what He realizes is that death does not stop the promise of God. Death does not stop the promise of God to bless the world. And over in Hebrews chapter 11, we have this inspired commentary on what it is that's happening in Genesis chapter 22. We read it last week. I'll read it again. It was by faith. How did Abraham get there? Because it was logical and because it was by faith, meaning that at some point it did not make sense to him except that through faith he trusted God's word that came into his mind and into his heart and into his soul. It was by faith that Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham, what's the next word, church? Abraham did what? He reasoned that God could even raise the dead. He reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. You know, it's, it's knowing who is more important than what. And then number two, it's always trust over behavior. Behavior is really, really important, but at some point, faith is trust. It's going into those dark places. It's going into that valley. It's going into the unknown. It's going into places that you've never been before. But realizing that because of the relationship with God and who God is in that relationship, that you can go to those places that He sends you because God is God and nothing less. Now, one of the things that we see in Abraham, though, is that not only is it about trust, but it's certainly not about living a perfect life. Last point I'll make this morning is this. You know, one of the things we see in, in Abraham's life is that healthy relationships survive setbacks. Healthy relationships survive setbacks. Abraham, in his relationship with God, he's the model of faith. In fact, he's the father of all those who have faith like him. Paul says that in Romans. He says that in Galatians. But Paul, uh, uh, Abraham, is not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. 
I mean, there are lapses all through this story. Even after you get to a mountaintop with Abraham, he drops down in the valley. But some, some, some lapse in faith, some lapse in trust, and some of them really, really serious. There's that story of the Pharaoh. He's leaving the land of promise because he's afraid because of the famine. It's not going to be able to sustain him. He's going into Egypt when on, along the way he realizes, you know what, this woman that is sitting next to me is beautiful, 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 and Pharaoh's going to see her. He's going to want to have her as his wife. What's he going to do to me? Kill me. Hey, Sarah, what do you think about, you know, once we get in close to those, uh, those, those Egyptians, why don't you begin telling everybody you're my sister? Which was not a lie, but a complete profound lack of trust in God. There's the whole Hagar fiasco. You know, God has said, you're going to have a son, you're going to have a son, you're going to have a son, through your wife, through your wife, through your wife. And the wife comes up and says, it's not really happening. I, you know, God is opposing me. God, God is, is, is opposing me in having this baby. Take Hagar. And you know what? Sometimes the lack of trust, the consequences for the lack of trust carry over for thousands of years. Then there's the king of Gerar, there's Abimelech. It's that whole, tell him you're my sister thing again. All of these setbacks were the products of wrong thinking about God. That God wants me to be happy. That God wants me to be successful. That God, and this is one of the big ones, that God wants me to be safe. And this becomes a rationalization for doing what I want to do for doing what it is that I want to do, because that's the thing that really is most important to me. God, I know that you're sending me to this place, but I've got to have that Ph.D. first. God, I know what your Word says about relationships, but I don't know how I can make it through this life being single. The question, and perhaps this is another one of those discipleship checks, the question is, how will my actions show that I trust God? How will my life show and portray a profound trust in God? Remember, knowing who is more, knowing who is more important than knowing what. And because God is the big who in that statement, you know that this third truth is absolutely life-changing your mistakes are not insurmountable you know how many of you ever struggle with a mistake that you've made in life and you thought you know what i don't know if god can ever get over this because i don't know if i can i remember uh you know some years ago uh we were at a small group or our, our youth group in california we're talking you know close to 30 years ago and i got a phone call that uh, there was somebody at the church that needed to talk to me. So I headed back to the church. It turned out, and he did not know that that was my church. I didn't know who I was going to see, but it was my favorite waiter at this uh, Mexican restaurant in Southern California that Ellen and I used to go to. And we had built this relationship with this guy, and he, it, somehow in that, that conversation with him, he decided that it was, it was just time. He had to make a change in his life. Went to the closest church. It just happened to be ours. When we saw each other, we knew it was a God moment. 
As it turns out, he had been an enforcer for the mafia in, in Southern California. He had a kind of a Bruce Lee uh, pedigree when it came to, to the martial arts. He, had, he was just a rough, rough, rough individual who had seen all of the violence that he had wanted to see in a lifetime. He was only in his mid-twenties and decided that he needed to get out of that, and so he tried to run. And he got out, and he, he tried to run away from, from all of it, but he couldn't because regardless of the fact of whatever job he had, he was taking those memories with him. And wherever he went, those memories just haunted him of just the violence and the cruelty and the brutality. And this guy and I, we just kind of walked around the parking lot for, for hours that Wednesday night just, just, just talking about grace and talking about the power of the gospel in somebody's life and the truth of forgiveness and God's word and his faithfulness and salvation, all these kinds of things. And then it kind of dawned on me that here's the deal. He can't expect God to forgive him because he can't even forgive himself. And that's when we began to talk primarily about this particular truth. That there's nothing that you've done in your life that is so bad, that's so terrible, that is so, so dirty and filthy that it trumps the grace that comes in the exhibition of God's love in the cross of Jesus. And the next thing you know, he begins to soften. And the next thing you know, he begins to, to get emotional. And the next thing you know, he begins to get really emotional and... He begins to believe and to trust. And we take him up into that baptistry that night. And I take him into that water and I say his name. Do you believe? And he says, I do. And I say, I now baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Just like in Acts chapter 2. For the remission of your sins and to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this time... I took him down very gently. <laughs> Black belt. <laughs> Bring him up slowly out of the water. And he just starts weeping. Your mistakes are not insurmountable. It, it's more than doing. It's about knowing and it's about being known. You know, some of the frightening passages in the New Testament always deal with relationship. You know, you have, you, you have the, the parable there in Matthew chapter 25 where these, the, 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 the foolish virgin, virgins are sent, <laughs> the virgins, the virgins are sent away because they are not known. I do not know you and they are sent away. In the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform any miracles? I mean, think about all this stuff that they're doing. Then I will tell them plainly, I, I don't know you. I don't know you. Away from me, you evildoers. And so the question I, I put forward to you this morning as we, we shut the, the study of Abraham down is if, if the most preeminent part of the relationship that, that Abraham and God have with each other is the fact that they have a relationship based in trust and a relationship that is so strong in that trust that there is none of our misdoings and, and our failings that can overcome that. Well, how's your relationship? 
How's your relationship? If, if you've been a Christian for a long time, do you find yourself thinking about the fact that there's no place you go in this world where you go without God, that everywhere you go, God goes with you, and that most of the time God is leading you to a place of ministry, an opportunity for you to portray and exhibit that trust in such a way that He gets glorified, and that people recognize that He is the great reward and that He is the great shield. He is the beauty of all beauties in your life that they can take away everything from you in this life. You can lose You can lose a job, you can lose your health, you can lose whatever it is, but you don't drop into the fetal position and, and you don't find yourself sinking because they, no one can take from you the most important thing, which is God. So how's your relationship? Are you walking with God? When you go to Scripture, is your mind and your heart being expanded about the personality and the character of God who's the supreme value of the universe in such a way that it draws you closer to Him and Him to you? And you find your prayer life changing, and it's not, it's not always feeling like you're going through the mechanics, that it's sometimes perfunctory prayer, that, it's, that you're actually speaking to the Creator and the Possessor of the heavens and the earth. And maybe you might be here this morning and you're thinking to yourself, you know, I, I can't say that I have a relationship with God. I know about God, but I've, 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 I've never trusted Him. I, I've never in faith trusted God to be true to all of His promises, that He wants to, to, to save me because He loves me, and He loves me, He loves me to the extent that he would even allow his son, his perfect son, to pay the penalty for my life. Offer an opportunity to you this morning. Trust him. And participate in that death, burial, and resurrection and baptism that Paul talks about in Romans chapter 6. And receive that gift of the Spirit that helps you to, to grow in your knowledge of God and to deepen that relationship and to understand those words in this Bible in such a way that, that it's like reading a love letter every time you go to the Bible. It's just, it's a love letter. It's, it's a story. It's a story that changes your life. And if that describes you this morning, Ben's going to lead us in a song right now. And we're going to have some of our shepherds down here at the front, spiritual leaders of our church. If that describes you, we want you to come down and talk to these shepherds as we stand and praise the greatness of God. He is able, more than able, to accomplish what concerns.